I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Uh, hey there, Luke. Oh, hey, Elena, hang on a sec. Oh, okay. I'm trying to tune this guitar. Uh, I'm tuning the guitar because of this musical element we have this week. Are you excited for that? Oh, yes. I am very excited. I am dreading it so (gasps) much. I have never been more nervous for anything on this show. And by the way, I once ate the world's hottest pepper on stage (laughs) during an episode. And this is way worse to me. I am not... (laughs) Looking forward to this. Well, at least you don't have to eat the world's hottest pepper and sing at the same time, right? I would eat four of the world's hottest peppers <laughs> if this cup could be passed from me. That is the musical component. By the way, these uh, guitar tuners that you can just download onto your phone mm-hmm. are unbelievable. I maybe would have been another Jimi Hendrix <laughs> if I would have had access to this kind of... I never the, yeah. No guitar I ever had as a kid was in tune. First of all, because the strings were rubber bands. Right. But second of all, because I didn't know how to tune the thing. Now it's so easy. Well, that's what made Jimi Hendrix the genius that he was, was he had a really in-tune guitar. Yes, I think that was the big difference between me and him. Uh, do you want to uh, get the show going? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Molly, are we recording? Lufian, we are recording. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to make sense in a few minutes here, everybody. All right, Elena, uh, take it away. From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire House Party. This week with actor and singer Francois Clemens from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Plus, comedy writer Joey Clift from the Hour 50 States Project. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello. And now, live and direct from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Thank you, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Livewire House Party. Uh, each week on the show, of course, we like to ask the audience a question. This week, we asked the folks... Tell us about a small win that felt really good. I feel like we're all just trying to get through each day. Mm-hmm. And anytime you can just get a small W somewhere, it really, 
really puts the wind in your sails. I'm excited to tell you about my small win, Elena, and also read some of the audience responses. Uh, but before that, let's actually talk about somebody who had a big win recently, maybe even a huge win. Um, this was a huge project. Uh, do you know who Sufjan Stevens is? Do you know why Molly called me Lufjan at the top of the show? <laughs> I do. Uh, uh, I'm a white girl who went to college in the early 2000s. So, yeah, I totally do. Who <laughs> was part of the curriculum? Yeah, I think, I think that's what I got my degree in. Uh, Sufjan Stevens, for folks that don't know, is a, a singer-songwriter, a very popular kind of indie folk performer. And he set out on this project a number of years ago where he said he was going to record an album for each state in America. And he did Illinois, which I love that album. It's called Come On, Feel the Illinois. He did one for Michigan. And there are these like incredibly historically researched, kind of painfully beautiful songs um, the problem is he only did two states. He never <laughs> did the rest of the project. And this guy named Joey Clift, who is a comedian and performer, decided that he was going to finish the job of rounding out all 50 states by recruiting musicians and other people during the quarantine to write all of the albums in states that Sufjan never got to. And they actually did it. Wow. It's like hundreds of songs uh, one album for each state. Uh, and I wanted to talk to him about it. So let's bring him on the show. Joey Clift, welcome to Livewire. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, before we jump in, I just got to say, as an enrolled Cowlitz Indian tribal member, I would be wasting my shot if I didn't immediately start promoting my tribe's casino, which is mm -hmm. 20 minutes north of you guys. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, I, I know my way around that place, Joey. <laughs> oh, great. Have you eaten at the Michael Jordan Steakhouse? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Um, why did it bother you so much that Sufjan Stevens bailed on this plan to record an album for each of the 50 states? Uh, so I remember I first heard about the 50 states project when I was in college. Uh, this would have been the mid-2000s, Washington State University. And I remember hearing about, like, there's this folk musician who's going to make an album for every state of the union, so 50 albums. And like everybody else, I got really excited about it. I couldn't wait for him to release the Washington album. Mm -hmm. And then, honestly, I just kind of forgot about it until around 2015. I was writing for a comedy website and um, just Sufjan Stevens came up inside conversation. I think I said, oh, hey, is he still doing that 50 States thing? And then somebody said, oh, no, he gave up after two albums because it was too hard. <laughs> and um, I think that for me, like since then, it's really stuck in my craw as just like he promised this cool project and then immediately gave up. And then anybody that called him out on it, he said, I was just kidding. It was just a bit. So it's, mm. I guess it's just the gall of saying that he was going to do this really cool thing and then immediately backing out. <laughs> so I, I know that you sort of had this idea to try to complete this project, this unfinished project by the singer Sufjan Stevens. Um, but obviously it's a massive undertaking. How much of this now happening is because of the pandemic? Um, so I originally came up with this idea shortly after working at that comedy website in 2015. Um, just thinking, oh, like that sucks that he stopped doing it. That would be really funny if I just got a bunch of comedians together and we just hastily finished his 50 <laughs> States project in like a weekend, um, just to say that we did it. And also like none of us are musicians. So it was sort of like, Oh, all the albums would be bad, but that would be even funnier. Um, and I always ended up 
running into the hang up of even pitching it to a few places of like, how do you logistically make 50 albums worth of music in record time, even to do it hastily? If you like from writing to recording made a complete album in an hour, that would take 50 hours to do. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have been kind of pondering this idea for years. And then I actually, I was writing on a Quibi show called Useless Celebrity History um, prior to the... Uh, is there any other sh- kind? Yeah, yeah, look, there's some important celebrity history. That is not what that show is about. Um, it's uh, hosted by Adam Rapon, who's a super funny guy. Yeah. And um, basically uh, the show was shut down due to, you know, quarantine, COVID. It was a live show, so we couldn't necessarily film it anymore. And I remember driving home from the job after getting laid off. This was um, in kind of mid-March and thinking to myself like, hey, wait a second. I could probably do that Sufjan Stevens thing now if I crowdsourced it because all of my other friends and, you know, any other creative person right now is also out of work and looking for stuff to do. So I pondered it for, um, you know, a few days and just very quickly kind of came up with the plan of, you know, just posting a tweet saying, hey, I'm looking for songs for this thing, you know, busting out an Excel spreadsheet and figuring out how to color code on Excel. All the fun parts of music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, the, Excel. All, the, all the parts of, I mean, most of this project's definitely been me uh, sitting in pajama bottoms, uh, uh, like on my couch with the seat reclined with a laptop in my lap with uh, Excel open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who answered the call? Like, who did you start hearing from? I heard from such a diverse array of people that it was very surprising to me. Um, The day that I posted the call on Twitter that I was looking for songs, I got probably 200 emails within 24 hours from um, musicians, comedians, and people kind of all across the spectrum. And, um, you know, these, some of these people were, you know, new to music. Like we had um, a family, just a a mom and her kids who I think were like six or seven years old who submitted a song for a Louisiana album, which was really fun. And they were, they were very, you know, new to music. They were just big Sufjan fans. And then I had everybody from that to, you know, friends of mine who were improvisers who've never sang before, (laughs) who just like put up a karaoke track and did a parody of some random song. Um, And then on the other end of it, we have like legit musicians who submitted for it. Like um, Stealth Olvang from the Lumineers uh, yeah. submitted a bunch of songs from the Moon album because we're doing a Moon album because there's a U.S. flag up there. So we got to ah. do it, I guess. <laughs> I think the um, scope of this is growing. Joey, I actually uh, I want to play an example uh, of a song yeah. that somebody submitted to the project. But we have to take a quick break. This is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarella. We're talking to Joey Clift about the Our 50 States project where... Uh, He and a bunch of folks, some of them his friends, some of them complete strangers, have created 50 albums, one for each state, and now apparently one for the moon. Um, a double the, album for Rhode Island too, so we're we're, we're going <laughs> double album yeah. for Rhode Island. Uh, the, the smallest station of the biggest album, you know. And an EP for DC, if I'm not EP mistaken. EP for DC, EP yeah. for Puerto Rico, an album for the territories. We're getting so thorough for this. Guam. Okay, we're going to hear more about this in just a moment when we come back. This is Livewire. Don't go anywhere. Livewire is supported, in part, by Fully. Listen, you know, in your heart of hearts, that sitting around at work all day, that ain't great for you. But guess what? It's not just your heart of hearts. There's actually a lot of science backing that up, which is why Livewire partners with Fully, the company that believes people weren't meant to be glued to a chair all day. Fully has curated the best collection. And I've been there, by the way. I've met them. I've seen the stuff. And I can testify. 
They've got the best collection of standing desks, active sitting chairs, and other workspace tools that encourage us to move. Uh, I've got the TikTok stool. In fact, I'm sitting on it right now. I don't know if you can hear me rocking back and forth on it. But uh, the folks at Foley sent me this thing, and it is just a dream. Uh, It's comfortable to sit on, but it keeps me engaged in the work that I'm doing, keeps the blood flowing, and uh, and it's really improved my life as I uh, work to host your favorite public radio show and podcast, known as Livewire, in case you needed a reminder. Anyway, if you would like to be better at what you're doing and stay more engaged, check out Fully. Get your body moving in your workspace by going to fully.com slash livewire. That's F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash livewire. Fully. Desks, chairs, and things to keep you moving. His father was a drinker and his mother cried in bed. Folding John Wayne's t-shirts when the swing set hit his head. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party from PRX. I know this is fairly somber music for a house party. This is the work of one Sufjan Stevens, who, if you are unfamiliar, is a singer and songwriter who a number of years ago announced that he was going to record one album for each state in America. And he did a total of two albums, which is where our guest this week steps in, Joey Clift, who decided to sort of crowdsource the other 48 albums, and he's now collected up all that music and put it together state by state, and it is quite an incredible thing. It's called R50 States Project. So, uh, Joey, you were saying before the break that you heard from a wide range of people when you put the call out, some people that were professional musicians, some people that were just kind of having fun. I mean, there's a whole spectrum of competence for these songs, right? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's that for me is, uh, I guess, part of the excitement in putting this project together is um, uh, whenever I would get a new song from somebody, and at this point, we've released 370 songs. Next week, we're going to finish the project oh with probably God. another 100. So, wow. yeah, I mean, it's like it's so much music. <laughs> and um, whenever I get a song, I have no idea what to expect from, you know, from quality, from genre. Um, some people decided to really deliberately ape Sufjan Stevens kind of folk music style. Right. Um, uh, one of the tracks, uh, I believe three cheers for St. Nicholas. Yeah, we actually have that. Do you want to, let's play a little bit of this. This is, uh, a really perfect sort of tonal, I guess you could say parody of a Sufjan, because we should mention that these, these, these two albums that he put out, come on, feel the Illinois and the album he did about Michigan really delve into a lot of kind of uh, history in these states. There's a certain seriousness to the songs um, and a certain formality uh, that this particular one, uh, Three Cheers for St. Nicholas, The Man Who Puts Candy in Our Shoes by <laughs> Michael Oconis. This, uh, this perfectly captures that vibe. Take a listen to this. If you're in Milwaukee December 5th Make sure to leave your shoes outside the door It's not a myth He knows if you've been good this year He knows if you've been bad It's like a German Santa Claus 
except he's not your dad. He's not your dad. I know that he's real. So for all of us good children, rejoice, you know the deal. Wow. <laughs> I almost started talking over the most important part. Now, this is like a beautiful parody. Has he heard about this? Have you heard from him? What's like, how's he taking this? Uh, So Sufjan Stevens, he's famously not online. So, you know, he doesn't have a Twitter (laughs) account. He might have an Instagram. Um, So, you know, I can't necessarily tweet this at him. Uh, it, it's gone viral enough. It got write-ups from the AV Club, Exclaim, Relevant Magazine, and a bunch of other places that I think that there's a chance he's probably heard of it, but I haven't gotten any kind of like hot take reaction from him. He hasn't driven to my house in Los Angeles <laughs> to fight me yet. I mean, are you um, worried, though, that in any way this is coming off as kind of trolling him? Oh, it's 100% trolling him. <laughs> like, that's uh, the intent. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually, that's my, um, th- th- there are, Two different ways that I'm thinking about concluding this, depending on just like, you know, time and interest and stuff like this. One of them is I want to try to do potentially a um, like a like an over Twitch, a live stream kind of music festival where we get a bunch of people to, to play their songs live. Oh, cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, use it as a fundraiser for, you know, just a, a lot of different nonprofits that I know that kind of could use the help right now. Or the other potential button to it, if I um, don't have the time to put that together is just to burn CDRs of every single album and then mail them to his record label <laughs> with a note that just says, you're welcome. So, you know, so he'll find out in some way. And I have to say, this is like my favorite kind of trolling because it's the kind of trolling that turns into this incredible uh, constructive public act, right? Like you're tearing somebody down, but then you're, you've built this thing in what, two months that's, I mean, it's better than, you know, a guy going into the studio and making 50 albums with professional musicians. Like there are little children in Louisiana singing about their home state. What what could be better than that? That's something that's really struck me um, as I've put this thing together. And, I, you know, I, I try to take a lot of time to put together just like, you know, good track lists for all the albums and make sure that everything flows well is the version of this where I get. 20 comedians together and we quickly slap this together in a week in like the basement of some comedy website isn't as cool as the version where people from legit all over the world are like sending songs to, you know, either on honor or comment on states that they're from. And I think that like, yeah. especially now in kind of, you know, the, this world they're living, we're living in where we're so disconnected. There is just this weird, like artfulness to it that like i appreciate absolutely yeah it's public art like we need public art right now yeah and like that wasn't the the intent of this was 100 oh i'm just gonna troll this folk (laughs) musician but i do feel like the what's come out of it is weirdly beautiful you know agree uh we're talking to joey clift who coordinated this our 50 states project uh getting a an album uh, from every state in the U.S. Uh, to complete the project that Sufjan Stevens started and did not finish. Joey, it sounds like you have more songs than you need, but Elena and I, I think, were kind of getting jealous, like looking at all of these amazing submissions, and we wanted to possibly get in on the act, and so we decided that we would each try to write our little sort of Sufjan-esque song. Um, and I was wondering if we could perform those for you, 
And uh, just sort of as a person who's now combed through hundreds and hundreds of songs for this project, if you could just give us a little feedback, a little constructive criticism. Okay, great, great, great. I'm, I'm, excited, to, I'm excited to hear these songs. Um, so, Elena, what have you prepared for us? Well, I uh, grew up in Georgia. I lived there from when I was in third grade to when I graduated high school. And I lived in a town called Snellville. And the town motto when I lived there was where everybody's somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to mention to the radio listeners, uh, Elena has now pulled an auto harp out in her house. And she has the finger uh, picks on. This yeah. is getting pretty serious. I don't play. I, I don't play the auto harp. <laughs> I've already, you're already way too qualified to make a song for this. Well, uh, no, no, you haven't heard it yet, Joey. Just wait. Um, okay, okay, okay. But so when I was trying to research Snellville uh, for this song, I realized that they have changed their motto since I left from where everybody's somebody to where everybody's proud to be somebody, which I just don't understand. So um, ah. that's, uh, that's the premise of this song. I'll just play a little bit of it. I'm excited about this. Okay, I'm just going to turn up my gain a little bit. Okay, here we go. Used to be enough. Just to be somebody But now, on top of that You gotta be proud <laughs> It used to be enough to drive down Highway 78 Past the A&J Tasty Pig and JP's International Cuisine Which wasn't really very international, just served hamburgers But now, you also gotta be loud What's there to be proud about in Snellville? <laughs> the town next to the town where Larry Flint was shot. <laughs> oh, what's there to be proud about in Snellville? It's the birthplace of an American Idol winner. But actually, she was a runner-up. Is that a lot? <laughs> and then there's like like 14 verses in here about uh, the Frisbee golf obsession in Snellville and the fact that Snellville was founded by two teenagers and the high school that I went to, which was called the Shiloh Generals, but because everybody's Southern accents were so twangy, it's the cheerleader sounded like shallow gin rules whenever they said their names. But I'll just go to the, the final chorus. <laughs> What's there to be proud about in Snellville? The town next to the town where the guy who held James Brown's cape died. <laughs> oh, what's there to be proud about in Snellville? Hey, you know what? I hear Michael Stipe was from there. No, he wasn't. I just lied. Hey, rock over London, rock on Chicago. Thank you. Thank you. Uh. I just want to say that uh, that is far better than any song about Georgia Sufjan Stevens has written. Hey. <laughs> oh, man. Shots continue to be fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the things about this that was way harder than I expected. Our executive producer floated the idea, hey, Luke and Elena, why don't you guys try to write sort of songs for this album, Sufjan-esque songs? And I thought that would be yeah. funny. And what I forgot was that I don't know how to write a song. <laughs> This morning I was Googling, how do you write a song? Like, I don't understand verse, chorus, structure. I also can't play an instrument. I'm also medium at singing at best. So what is about to happen here is 
honestly a stress dream come to life for me. Uh, This is a song about the world's largest egg, which is located in Winlock, Washington. Mm. Right. Um, And and I tried to give it a sort of properly Sufjan Stevens-esque title, which is Hats off to the world's largest egg, Winlock, Washington, where my friend Camaro Kev won $500 on pull tabs at the Eagles. I'm already on board. That's the best part of this song. I'm going to just tell you already. Um, So, uh, oh, man, this is going to let me I have to get all my chords and my words. Bear with me. This is going to be rough, you guys. Uh, Here we go. Woohoo! Free bird. Twelve feet long and twelve hundred pounds. They could see you from the highway. Canvas first, later fiberglass. Booming business made it that way. World's largest egg. Amazing. You're small, but I think you're fine. Oh, world's largest day. I'll stop to see you anytime. I'll stop to see you every time. That would uh, that would fit right at home on our uh, Washington album, right next to the song about the Del Taco in Federal Way. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I ended up more Rafi than Sufjan Stevens, but <laughs> it was good. And I think that he set it up up top with "I'm very nervous about this. I'm not sure how it's going to go." Then he played a great song. No, but the problem is the song needed to be worse or better. Yeah. <laughs> That was the issue. Like, it was uncanny. Like, it did not check either box, which is why I felt deeply embarrassed. Uh, yeah, I get what you're talking about. There is something, especially with, like, comedy projects, where you want it to be either pitch perfect mm-hmm. or you yes. want it to be, like, you have no, you've never held a guitar before. Yes. <laughs> Joey, great job on this project. It's a bunch of amazing music and a really cool thing. So uh, thanks for making it happen, and thanks for coming on the Livewire House Party. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. This was super fun. That was Joey Clift. The guy behind the R50 States project, which you can find by Googling those terms. It's on SoundCloud. It's amazing. You should check it out. This is also amazing. This is the Livewire House Party, Episode 8. This is the Livewire House Party. It's the eighth one of these, Elena. Woo! Eight is great. I'm glad that you're keeping positive. I'm getting a little stir-crazy up here in Bellingham. (laughs) Uh, By the way, I'm Luke Burbank. Down there, keeping it positive, is Elena Passarella. She's in Corvallis, Oregon. Uh, Each week, of course, we like to ask the audience a question. This week we asked, uh, tell us about a small win that felt really good. I feel like we need all the good news we can get, even if it's from a very small, specific Mm -hmm. moment. I have one, Elena, that I'm pretty excited about. I changed the turn signal bulb on my... 1996 Toyota 4Runner. Dang. I have to admit, it was actually not hard at all. Uh, (laughs) I watched one four-minute YouTube video, and it very clearly showed me how to do it. But it's the kind of thing that in the before times, I never would have done. I don't know how to fix cars. 
and that includes changing like the turn signal bulb. And I would have just taken it into the auto repair place and said, please fix it. And it would have cost me probably a couple hundred bucks. The bulb was $7 Wow! and it took me, it really took me like 10 minutes. And I was walking <laughs> tall after this. I was just like strutting around the house. Like anyone need to um, indicate a left turn <laughs> in the forerunner? Cause now you can do that legally. Like I was, I felt so proud of myself that I did something moderately useful. But they say that's really important in this kind, these kinds of times where it's this long stretch of like big projects and you don't know how things are going to end or how things are going to be answered to find a small uh, success, a thing that you can mm-hmm. start and finish. And I bet the bo- it's an added bonus if it's something like what you did, where it's a new thing, you taught yourself a new skill and you completed something. That endorphin rush I'm kind of jealous of. Um, what's a small W that you've been enjoying lately, Elena? Um, I have learned how to deposit checks on my phone. Game changer, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry to admit this, but my mother, who I always complain about how technically unsavvy she is, Karen Horton, former Livewire (laughs) guest. Yes. Uh, she's the one that kind of convinced me that I could deposit a check. And now, uh, when I do get a check in the mail, I like... It's like, how fast can I get it into my bank account? I just, I, I got a residual check for my book and I was just like, oh, I can't wait to put this 13 cents <laughs> into my bank account. <laughs> it so it cool. feels like magic that you can take a picture of the check yeah. on your phone and then the bank agrees that that's real money. Yeah. <laughs> what are the listeners saying are some small wins that they've been having during the time of quarantine? Here's one from Jan, a small win that felt really good to Jan. I still like my husband after being stuck in the house with him all this time. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a big win. Yeah, that's that's un giganto win. Yeah. Here's one from Samson. I love this one. We made it through a church Zoom call with all the parishioners muted. (laughs) (laughs) That must be some serious cat herding. Yeah. Trying to like get everybody, you know, if you're getting like tons and tons of people, everyone to obey the rules of the new, you know, Zoom etiquette rules. I'm kind of wondering if, you know, the story of Samson in the Bible, of course, is that his strength comes from his hair Mm -hmm. and he's got these beautiful flowing locks. Now, remember a few weeks ago, I cut the top of my hair Mm -hmm. for the show, but I didn't really do much to address the back. And the back, Elena, I don't know if you'll really be able to see it. Please tell me it's a rat tail, please. It's moving into pretty fierce kind of mullety territory. And the weird thing is, I feel very physically strong right now, and I'm wondering if it's a sort of a Samson effect. <laughs> I feel weaker because my bangs are getting so long that I can't see. So I've, I've, I've like one of my senses is sort of limited. So I feel very weakened. <laughs> Any others jumping out at you? A uh, small win that felt really good to Lynn getting up every morning at 6 a.m. to witness the dawn. A real transformation wow. of habit for this former night owl. That is a really good idea. I did a project (laughs) a year ago. I read this article that said, if you want to really improve your life, just get up at 5 a.m. I remember this. And uh, I have strayed far from that (laughs) lifestyle, Elena, but there is something so satisfying and smug about actually getting up early enough to watch the sunrise. Why is it? I mean, I agree with you, but we don't go... Oh wow, you stayed up till two o'clock watching Seth mm-hmm. Meyers. You know, like but we we right. we do feel like one can be smug about getting up at sunrise. It's how our society tends to view these things. But that's cool. I'm glad to hear that Lynn has been checking out the sunrise. I should probably do that myself. Uh this is the Live Wire House Party, by the way. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello. <sighs> 
these are very stressful times. Uh, and I just remember when I was a kid, Elena, like the safest, most welcoming place that I could think of was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Were you a Mr. Rogers yes. fan? Oh, yeah. Rabid. Ride or die Mr. Rogers fan. It just was just like such a comforting thing to turn that show on and have him come in and yeah. take off one sweater and put a different sweater on. Yeah. We can't exactly go to the land of make-believe, but you know what we can do huh. is talk to somebody who spent a lot of time there. <gasps> Officer Clemens. His real name is Francois Clemens. He's a singer, actor, playwright. He was uh, part of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for many years. And now he has an autobiography out. It's called Officer Clemens, a memoir. And I thought it would be fun and, let's be honest, comforting mm -hmm. to talk to him. So let's bring him on the show. Francois Clemens, welcome to Livewire. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Where are you joining us from? Well, I live in Middlebury, Vermont. <gasps> and uh, I'm literally at home. Uh, I've been incarcerated for about a month or two. <laughs> does it feel like incarceration to you? Oh, God, does it ever. I'm an extrovert, and I love just being able to walk outside and walk around the block. It's a beautiful neighborhood that I live in. Um, and so, and it's a beautiful day. We have been cooped up for an extensive winter. Francois, would, would you say it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood? Oh, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Uh, oh, my gosh. You just healed America, Francois. Uh, that is exactly what we needed to hear just, like, oh nationally man. right now. It was well. raining here, and it stopped. <laughs> uh, Francois, this uh, new memoir of yours, Officer Clemens, a memoir, is really lovely. Mm -hmm. oh. And I understand, Francois, that you actually were not very excited at the prospect of playing a police officer on the show initially. I thought it was terrible. In fact, at first I thought, maybe he's kidding me. He, he knows. Mr. Rogers? Yes. I, I, but there was no logical reason for a black boy in 1968, 69, to want to play a police officer. In the ghetto, my, my Aunt Hattie, my Aunt Clara, my Aunt Emma, my Aunt Cora, all those ladies helped to raise me, told me how to stay alive. And the way you stay mm -hmm. alive, Francois, get your eyes down and be quiet, be very unassuming, don't cause any trouble, and if you see the policeman, go in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And here it was, Fred Rogers says yes. to you, how about you play a policeman on my TV show? <laughs> be one of those enemies, one of the bad guys, in the sense that there was a lot of abuse. And, mm. I mean, it was rough in the ghetto in Youngstown. And so when Fred said that to me, I said, Fred, do you know how the policemen treat us? I'm not sure I, I want to be associated with, with that. That authority, I thought of the pistols, the billy clubs, the whistles, the noise, the brutality, and I was totally turned off. In his calm manner, he told me about helpers. That mm. was the magic mm. word. You're going to be a helper, Francois. Children will get lost they may get hurt. Uh, they may get separated from their parents. And they're going to need someone to put out an arm around them and say, I will help you find your mommy or your daddy or your grandparents or someone that they knew 
whom they had gotten separated from. Well, he talked like that. And there were several factors definitely on his side. One, he was really the star of the show. He had a certain charisma, and uh, I wanted to be with around him. I had gotten used to some of his idiosyncrasies, like talking mm. for the puppets. Uh, <laughs> that well, was initially a bit of a turnoff for oh, you, Francois? tremendous turnoff. <laughs> I said uh, to someone I was uh, being interviewed that I knew what people, men did when they were, you know, doing their thing. They, they gambled, uh, they did drugs, uh, and they drank. Lord knows there was always some cheap wine or something, cheap whiskey going around. But I had never seen those guys playing with no puppets, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is a totally different adult male culture it's for you. Totally different. Totally different. And I so I told him that. I said, My goodness, I don't know, you know, what's going on here. <laughs> and he said he, he started talking like King Friday. Or he oh. would talk like <laughs> Queen Sarah. I heard all these voices coming out of him. And he would hold up his hand with the puppet. And I, the, there was something in this gesture uh, of, of his where he wasn't acting silly or cheap or dumb. There was a purpose. And I was mm-hmm. try, trying to figure out, what, what, what is he trying to say to me? What is this? And so he explained to me about his program and these were the puppets in the neighborhood of make-believe. Well, I heard it, and I was still saying, what does that have to do with me? And he, he said, if you will just trust me, uh, mm. this is going to go a long way for you. Uh, he said, I think that people are going to begin to have a different idea about policemen, and they're going to look to you, Francois, that you made a contribution. So he convinced me. He convinced yeah. me. I I. Felt like I was being handed something maybe on a gold platter. I didn't know what it was. But I, <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Yeah. He, he made it yeah. sound so special. And wow. I didn't know it at first. It took me a while to understand that I had begun my journey in life. Mm. And the relationship that I had with him helped me to understand children, helped me to understand how sick I was, traumatized because my parents yeah. had physically fought. When I was a wee child, about a year and a half to two years old. It sounds like your association with Fred Rogers in the early days was a bit of therapy for you. Totally. As a a child Mm. who had been through a traumatic childhood. Totally. He um, articulated what was going on because we became close. He invited me to the station and I started coming over there, and he uh, had adopted me before I realized. I didn't realize it yet. <laughs> no, I really, that he was going to mentor me, this, this boy, this man. So I trusted him, and I began to talk with him about why I was so unhappy. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who said, you are the walking wounded, Francois. Don't you understand what that experience has done to you? That's what it was. And he said, had you thought about seeing a psychiatrist? I said, no, ah. we don't go to psychiatrists unless you're crazy. <laughs> and he said, well, you can go. And many times he said, they will explain to you what was going on so mm. that you don't blame yourself. Mm. And that was a huge uh, change for me. I, I did go, and I did stay close to Fred. And one day I was in the studio and watching him work, and he uh, saying the, the song, tomorrow song, and he was saying goodbye, putting on his sweater. And he looked right at me when he said, you know, you're very special, and you make every day a special day, just by your being Aww. you. 
and I like you just the way you are. Oh. And when he said cut, we were standing right there next to each other, and I looked and I said, Fred, were you talking to me? <laughs> and he said, yes, I was. And it's taken you two years to hear me. Mm. Oh, my gosh. That must have been, that's a, must have been such an emotional moment. It was, and it is right now, honestly. Mm-hmm. I literally threw myself in his arms, and mm. he, he and I, mm. I cried like a baby. Mm. And he said, well, what's the matter? And I told him, no man had ever told me that he loves me. You're the first one. And it just wow. released something inside of me. Oh, yeah. And wow. I was never the same. I felt the click, something in my soul mm-hmm. opened up and said, okay, now you're ready. Mm-hmm. And from then on, wow. uh, he became my surrogate father. And he said mm-hmm. it to me, I will be there for you. I love that you bonded through music as well, that he saw the mm-hmm. light in you. And then you brought, you brought your tremendous talent and your tremendous knowledge into the show that he was building that I personally... Yeah, I'm going to be honest. When mm-hmm. you sang, Francois, it was the best singing on the show, hands down. <laughs> well, they didn't specialize in... in uh, Fred was a terrible singer. In yeah. fact, one of, one of the funny things we used to do between takes and when we were sitting around together is I would give him a voice lesson. Well, ah, you have really? never seen <laughs> such caterwauling and such mooing and bu- bucking and carrying on. He was so funny. We actually had a little, a little. I'm sorry, nobody ever taped any of that because he would not permit it. But I used to go and sit down at the piano. I cannot play the piano. And so I would sit down and I can play a scale or something like that. Uh-huh. And I did that and then he would try, oh, 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 he was hard. He'd say, what's the matter? Isn't that what you want me to do? This is the Livewire House Party coming to you by way of PRX. I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarello. And we are talking to Francois Clemens, Officer Clemens, from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. We have to take a quick break, but we will be right back, so don't go anywhere. Special thanks this episode to Laura Frizzell and Brenda Hunt of Portland, Oregon. Laura and Brenda are part of the Livewire member community and generously support our show with a donation each month. And we are so thankful for that support because it is genuinely what allows us to keep this whole thing going. So thank you so much, Laura and Brenda. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank, broadcasting from my house in Bellingham, Washington. Elena Passarello is down there in Corvallis, Oregon. And we are talking to Francois Clemens, also known as Officer Clemens from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He's got a new memoir out. Um, the cover of this book, Francois, mm. is this lovely moment that's mm. actually got a lot of meaning imbued in it uh, when uh, Mr. Rogers and Officer Clemens sit with their feet in a waiting pool. Well, What was happening in that moment? Well, there were people around America in the uh, major urban centers like Memphis or Nashville or Atlanta – uh, Philadelphia, they didn't. They had swimming pools, and they did not want black people to come mm-hmm. and swim in those pools. Particularly, they were young children, two, three, four years old. Well, the people in some of those communities were racist. They were segregationist, mm-hmm. and they felt there should be no mixing of black and white. And they resented 
those kids coming uh, to their to there. They took ownership to that mm-hmm. swimming pool. Well, when the people decided we were going to go in there anyway, they uh, the the white people took chemicals and mm-hmm. detergents like Clorox and mm-hmm. Tide, a horrible uh, stuff they put in the water that literally, in a sense, made it poisonous for the kids uh, to be there. And so I was furious, and I said to Fred, look what they are doing to young, innocent children. So he and I talked, and as Fred was, he's very thoughtful. He said, well, these are my people, my children, going into that pool, and Mm -hmm. nobody should hurt them. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what he sent to me, a, a script in the mail, and I opened it, and I read this scene. I thought, well, what the heck is this, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> so I get to Pittsburgh, and I'm really trying to figure out, what does this mean? There's nothing to it. I sit down and put my feet in the water. Big deal. <laughs> and, you know, and, I, and I sing a song. Come on, people. You've heard me sing before. So we start going through the motions, and it's a sunny day, and I get my cue to, to go into the scene. And I go in, and it's, it's outside, and he says that, He's just relaxing. He was already there with his feet in the pool. I said, okay, all right. I sat down. I took my boots off, my socks. We chatted, and I sang a song. Uh, And then he said, I said, oh, I have to go. I have a job. You know, I'm supposed to meet Queen Sarah. (laughs) Something like that. I couldn't just sit there all afternoon. (laughs) I'm going to go break up a gambling ring. I got a job for Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I started taking my feet out of the water. And he passed me the towel. It all seemed so natural. You know, it must have been a jumbo-sized towel. Because what I remember is he held on to one end, and I uh-huh. held on to the other. Uh-huh. And I started, I started drying my feet, and then he helped me. And I said, this man is serious. So just go with it. Mm. So when I got through, I put on my socks, and then I put back on my boots. I thanked him very much. And then I left. And I just didn't quite understand the significance of Peter and Jesus and Jesus Rick. washing Peter's feet. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I, I knew literally what had happened, but I didn't understand the uh, connection. And I, I didn't quite understand all the things that it was implying that here Fred was, a, a spiritual leader of many thousands of people washing the feet of a descendant of slaves who yeah. was black, who was gay. And because that always kind of spilled into who I am. I'm never not gay. It's just that uh, I don't act or say anything that focuses on it on the show. But I'm always gay. And I think about that. And there were a significant number of people in the industry who knew it, but not the average citizen in Utah or Ohio or wherever. And Fred Rogers knew, right? Oh, Lord have mercy. He was the one I worked it out with by Hmm. having somebody I could talk to that was not going to condemn me. He made it very clear that he didn't think I could be very successful on the program being openly gay. But if I was willing to go into the closet and just act like everything is all right and don't focus on that. In fact, I had gone to a gay bar and he told me, stop going. You can't go there anymore. I know that some people have taken issue with the idea that 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 Fred Rogers advised you maybe not to go to gay bars or not to wear an earring because you had a pierced ear. Yes, and I know yes. that you've also wanted to offer some context to that. I I I, th- I don't think you take it the way some people do. No, not at all. Listen, this was his dream, and our society is very homophobic. There are people who behave 
in what I would call a very unchristian manner. They are not <laughs> kind. Amen. Amen. And they had ideas and they had attitudes about gay people that had nothing to do with the scripture and has nothing to do with Jesus's message. Amen. We're talking to Francois Clemens. His new book is Officer Clemens, a memoir. Uh, he was Officer Clemens on Mr. Rogers' Neighbor. By the way, this is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Um, Francois, you're a Grammy winner. Uh, you're a professor at Middlebury. You're a writer. You're a performer. You've had a very accomplished career outside of your work on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. How is it for you to have your identity so connected to somebody else in the person of Fred Rogers, at least in the minds of a lot of people. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, and to me, it was always an advantage to have that umbilical cord still tied <laughs> to Fred. Mm. Um, he was in seminary mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh, and I didn't quite get it. I had read the Bible about four, three or four times because I was looking for a way to exonerate myself for being gay, some forgiveness. Mm. I never found that. Yeah. So I began to discuss those things with Fred. We became yeah. extremely close because I feel a deep spiritual awareness, but I didn't feel I was ever going to be a preacher, and I'm not. But I am a person who's been ordained to carry the word. And because of wow. that, I started singing American Negro spirituals all the time. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I started the Harlem Spiritual Ensemble. Well, I didn't feel I was the one who needed glory and uh, uh, light my name up in lights and stuff, I was singing to people about something deep inside of each and every one of us that makes us special. Had mm-hmm. I not had that experience with Fred, mm-hmm. I would not have known how to do my job, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of your singing, Francois, mm. I always loved so much when Officer Clemens would sing <laughs> on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I mean, it was a style of music. Mm -hmm. Um, that I wasn't that familiar with before I started hearing you sing it. And you have such a lovely voice. Wow. We actually didn't, like, uh, we didn't warn you about this. But I was just wondering, (laughs) I mean, you've performed and studied so many different styles of music, and I feel like this is a time when it might be really nice for folks to hear a song of, I don't know, some kind of comfort or peace. Is there a song that comes to mind that you would want to maybe sing for us? Would you be up for that? Well, I'll be honest with you. I like to do this. I'm spontaneous. And I like to do spirituals when I do it. So. My God is so high. You can't get over him. He's so low. Can't get under him. He's so wide. You can't get around him. You must come in by and through the land. One day when I was walking along that heavenly road, my Savior spoke unto my soul, and it filled my heart with love. My God is so wide. You can't get over him. He's so low. Can't get under him. He's so wide you can't get around him you must come in by and through the land 
Oh my gosh. Beautiful. That's exactly Beautiful. what we needed. <laughs> yes. Francois Clemens, his book is Officer Clemens, a memoir. Francois, thank you so much for being with us today on the Live Warehouse Party. Oh, we really I appreciate it. it. Immensely. You're a wonderful host. And thank you. Invite me back again sometime. Do I have to write book number two to get another <laughs> invitation? I'm sure you have you, it in you. If you don't mind singing for us, you can come back anytime. Well, <laughs> it's lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Francois. We really appreciate it. Francois Clemens, everybody, amazing. Elena, was that what your was that what your soul needed this week? Yes, uh, absolutely. I, if you would have told me that uh, at one point in my life, Officer Clemens <laughs> would sing a song that beautiful into my ears during a pandemic. During a pandemic, <laughs> it's it's just not a sentence that I imagine being a part of my reality. Holy cannoli! Yeah, well, it just happened. I guess that is gonna do it for this week's episode of the Live Wire House Party. Uh, a huge thanks to our guests, the incomparable Francois Clemens, also Joey Clift. Livewire is brought to you in part by Foley, Alaska Airlines, and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko, and Ariana Donneville is our marketing associate. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer, and Molly Pettit, our technical director, is our house party mixer. As always, a big thanks to Carlson Audio. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, wait for it, Elena. Huh? We'd like to thank Tony Passarello. Who's that? Of Sandy Springs, Georgia. I know, that's such a familiar last name. Hey, Daddy-o. <laughs> this show is now mostly supported by our parents. So things are going well, everyone. If you want more information about our show, how you can listen to our podcast or sign up for our newsletter, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Livewire. When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no. Sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.